we have been talking about this topic of devotion uh, for about, uh, this will be the third week now. And each week as we have gone through this, uh, I've been reflecting a lot on, on the practice of, of devotion. And I've realized uh, what a challenge devotion is for, for me personally. And, and particularly this, uh, this practice of prayer I have found to be one that I struggle with often. I struggle to pray consistently and, and pray in a meaningful way. Uh, but it wasn't always this way. I can remember one time in particular in my life when I was thoroughly devoted to prayer. I was a, a sophomore in college. And if you know anything about uh, stereotypes regarding young men who are studying for the pastoral ministry, uh, my days of finding a spouse were numbered. (laughs) And so I began to pray fervently (laughs) that God would send a a young woman into my life who who might look over the grievance of, of one day being married to a pastor. And, and thankfully, God answered that prayer uh, in, in a wonderful, wonderful way, in a way more wonderful than I could ever have imagined. And I learned in that that the best women come from the state of Wisconsin. <laughs> but I also realized that, that prayer doesn't always work that way. And, and I think a lot of times we, we do sort of think that, that if I pray... And if I say the right words, and, and if I pray in faith, well, then I should get the d- certain result that I desire. We, we almost see it as if it's like this, this investment, right? And, and prayer is like putting money into a savings account or putting money into the stock market. Like if I pray, then I should get a certain return on my investment. And, and very quickly, if we think about prayer that way, we'll probably find ourselves quite disappointed. Because we've all said prayers, fervent prayers, prayers prayed with deep faith and deep confidence in the promises of God that have gone unanswered, or at least not gotten the answer that we desired. We've all prayed that prayer for healing, and then that person died. We've all prayed that God would take away one affliction or another in our lives only to see it go on for quite a while. Sometimes we don't get the answer to our prayer that we want. Which can oftentimes lead us to wonder, why pray at all? If I'm not going to to change anything, why pray? I mean, I'm busy. There's all kinds of tasks for me to get done in my life. All sorts of things that I have to take care of. I've got to go to work. I've got to clean the house. I've got to get the kids to school or to daycare. I've got all this stuff to do. Why bother pray if it's not going to do me any good? And it's kind of funny to me that we think that way. I found this quote from Martin Luther. And he says about prayer, and actually about his own prayer life, he once said, I have so much business that I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. Luther looked at his life and he said, I'm really busy. So busy that I have to pray. Or we look at the life of Jesus. 
Right? If ever there was someone who could concern himself with other things, it was Jesus. There was plenty of business for him to get done. The salvation of the world, that was a pretty hefty task. But we see time and time again Jesus retreating to go and spend time in prayer, to go and seek the Father. Clearly, there must be something more to prayer than we make it out to be. Clearly, there must be something that we're missing if we can possibly come to the conclusion, I'm just too busy to pray. Now, in our reading from 1 Kings this morning, we have this example of prayer. Not so much a prescription of how to pray, Not so much of a defense of of why to pray, but we have this example of this prayer said by King Solomon and said in faith. Now one of the things that we need to know about this prayer that Solomon says before God is all this stuff that happened leading up to it. See, before Solomon was king in Israel, his father David prayed. And he prayed to God, asking God to build a temple for the Lord. David looked around him and he saw that he dwelt in this beautiful, magnificent house. And he said, how is it that I dwell in this house of cedar and God dwells in this tent? The old tabernacle was still there on Mount Zion. How is it that God dwells there and I have this beautiful house? I want to build a house for God. And God's response to David's prayer was, no, no, no. You're not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you. I'm going to establish your family and your household. I'm going to establish your throne forever. And you're going to have a son, and that son is going to build a house for me. And so then, not long after King Solomon is anointed as king over Israel, he begins his work on the temple. And he spares no expense. He imports the finest wood to build the structure of the temple. He imports the finest materials, precious metals to craft all the furnishings. Right? We just looked at uh, some of the expenses for, uh, for our renovation project recently. And, and if you're disheartened about some of the costs, give 1 Kings 6 and 7 a read. <laughs> because you'll notice there are some things that are lacking in, in our plans. For example, nowhere do we have a line item for overlaying the whole sanctuary with gold. It's not in there. But Solomon, he spares no expense. But you see, all of that would be meaningless if it were lacking one thing. If it were lacking the presence of God. But you see, God makes this promise to Solomon, He says, if you walk in my ways, if you follow my Torah, then I will come and I will dwell in this house that you will build for me. I will be there in the presence of my people. And so Solomon constructs this temple and sort of the icing on the cake or, or the coup de grace for the temple is the entrance of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the place that God had promised Moses and the people of Israel in the wilderness, that my presence will be there. I will dwell there. And so then the Ark of the Covenant now comes into the temple that Solomon has built, 
It goes into the Holy of Holies, and when that happens, Solomon stands before the altar of the Lord. He lifts up his hands, and he prays. And it's in the midst of that prayer, this lengthy prayer, that we have what we read this morning in 1 Kings chapter 8. And Solomon begins his prayer by saying this. He says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. So Solomon looks around at everything that he's done. The, the, the fine wood and metals that have gone into this place. The whole sanctuary overlaid with gold. He looks at it all and he says, there is no way that this could contain the presence of God. Even this, in all its earthly splendor, has nothing to offer the Almighty God. Solomon looks at the fine work of his hands and he says, it's all nothing. Unless, of course, God, in his graciousness and his love toward his people Israel, would promise to come and dwell there. Which is precisely what Solomon prays next. He says, yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. See, notice that Solomon's prayer here, it's not rooted in his hopes or his wishes for the temple. His prayer is rooted in the word and promise of God. Solomon roots his prayer for this temple to dedicate it, praying that God's presence would be there, and he roots it in what God had promised to him. He says, God, keep that promise. Be faithful to your word. You said my name will be there, now I'm asking you to do it. Solomon's prayer to God is rooted in the promise of God. The promise of God that he would be present in that place. And with God present in that place, Solomon asks that this would not just be a house of prayer for him, but for all of God's people in Israel. He says in verse 30, he says, And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. When you hear, forgive. I find it interesting that as Solomon envisions the temple being this house of prayer, the prayer that he imagines has a certain characteristic to it. He imagines the sort of prayer that his people Israel would offer there would be a prayer of repentance, of seeking God's forgiveness, that God would listen to the prayers of his people and that he would answer them not in wrath but in mercy. You see, one of the things that I think we sometimes mess up about prayer is that we think that God somehow owes us a certain response to our prayers. That that if I pray in the right way, and if I want something hard enough, then then God kind of owes it to me to, to answer me in a certain way. 
But you see, I think if we read this prayer from Solomon, we learn a thing or two. Actually, I think we learn at least three things about prayer. And the very first thing that we learn about prayer is that we come to God with nothing to offer Him. Solomon built this glorious temple and looks at it and he says, this is nothing. This cannot contain God. This is nothing to offer God. And we come to God in the same way. Even the best that we have to offer is nothing before God. We come to Him empty-handed. We come as beggars. Hoping, wishing that God will hear us. But just because we come empty-handed, just because we have nothing to offer God, doesn't mean we come without confidence. Right? Because as we look at Solomon's prayer, Solomon comes with the promise of God, and so Solomon then comes with boldness. Solomon comes confidently before God. Solomon looks back to that promise that God had made to David that your son will build a house for me. Solomon looks back at those words that God spoke to him saying, if you walk in my ways and keep my Torah, then I will come and I will dwell in this temple. And he says, God, keep that promise. And the beautiful thing is, is that we come before God with the exact same promise. Because God sent another son of David, this time his own son, to establish a house for the Lord. And that house is not one made with hands. That house is you and me. We are the very dwelling place of God. We are being built up into a temple by the power of the Spirit. We have the promise that God is present with us. And because God has made these promises to us, we don't have to convince Him. He is willing and ready to hear our prayers. Martin Luther said, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is taking a hold of God's willingness. We have a God who is willing. A God who desires to hear our prayers. A God who in His grace and His mercy promises to answer our prayers. To give us what is best for us. And then we see that last thing that Solomon prays there. Our prayer is to be rooted in the desire for God's forgiveness. Central to our prayer is that prayer of repentance. The prayer that we would be changed, that we would be forgiven, that we would be reshaped in the likeness of Christ. When we go to God in prayer, we go with a desire that the work of Jesus would flow into our lives. That the grace and mercy that are poured out in the cross would begin to shape us and renew us and forgive us and transform us. When we go to, in prayer, we go with a desire that God would change us. How often do we go to God asking that He would change our circumstances rather than change us? There's a man by the name of, of Richard Foster who is one of the, the foremost uh, writers on the topic of, of spiritual disciplines. And, and he writes this about prayer. Uh, it's something that, that I, 
have read and, and felt very convicted by as I look at my own prayer life. And he says, to pray is to change. Prayer is a central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic in our lives. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic in our lives. Perhaps one of the reasons that we don't pray as we're called to pray is not because God doesn't hear us. Not because God has failed to answer us, but because we have become unwilling to change. Because we are resistant to the transformation that God wants to work in us. Maybe we become so bent on the fact that we are right and that what we want is best that we're unwilling to hear the answer, no. Maybe, maybe for us it's, it's because we're so convinced that, that, that we're good and there's nothing more that God can grow in me. Or, or maybe it's because we're stuck in this way of seeing ourselves that I'm just a poor old sinner and there's no way that God could ever do anything of any meaning in my life. But you see, both this sort of self-righteousness and self-loathing both ignore the gospel. They both ignore that reality that we are both sinner and saint. They both ignore the fact that until Christ comes again, God is going to be continually reshaping us in the likeness of Christ. That word of God is going to continue to do its work on us. It's going to keep killing us and making us alive. It's going to keep bringing forth those new people that God desires. It's going to keep reshaping us after the likeness of Christ so that we would embrace that identity as people who are loved and living because of the work of Jesus. We pray so that we might be changed by God and His work for us. We pray and God continues to respond to us with that word of the cross that says, you are forgiven and set free. He continues to speak to us from that empty tomb that beckons us toward the new life we've been called to in Jesus. We pray so that we might be changed by the power and the word and the very grace of God. And so we go and we devote ourselves to prayer. We devote ourselves to prayer knowing that we don't bring anything to God. We don't have anything to offer Him. But we simply simply go to God on the basis of His promise. His promise to hear us. His promise to be present with us. His promise to forgive and renew and transform. And we go to God in repentance. Desiring to be forgiven, but also desiring to be transformed after the likeness of Christ. Whether you have much to do or or whether you can do nothing else, pray. And in prayer, may you discover that there is no end to what God can do in you and through you. Amen?